Back to the basics. We, it is a very short six-week course, but it is loaded with basic principles of, in, of this very clear step-by-step processes that we're going to be doing. Um, primarily, you are going to want to have one of these. If you do not own one of these how-to study books, they are available for you. But this, the first three chapters in here are what you're going to want to hang on to. For this week's homework, it's chapter one and two. Chapter 1 is going to explain to you what context is. Chapter 2 is going to teach you how to do an overview. Week 1's homework is doing an overview, okay? Uh, Overview sets context. So does somebody here want to define for me what what context is? Right. So what does context do for us as Bible students? What what does knowing the context do for us? Yeah, it gives Right. So context by definition is the environment in which something is found, correct? And it gives meaning to that thing which you are looking at. So if you've got a, a frog in a pond, the pond and the, the water and the fish and the cattails and the f- dragon, fireflies, all that gives meaning and understanding, better understanding to what a frog, who he is and what his life is, right? So context gives meaning to, for us, the things of Scripture. So when we come across... Uh, subjects of matter or events that have happened in the scripture, understanding the context, which is, as Glenn said, who's the author, who's the recipient, what was the um, historical context. Also, it's another context, but another, what is the historical context that was going on at the time? So that we're going to take the book of of Thessalonians, we're going to look to see who that author is, who that recipient is, uh, what historically was going on at the time when the book was written. Um, we're also going to look at subjects and try to expand our understanding of those subjects so that then when we go back and take that back to the context, we have a better understanding of what the author's intention was for bringing that particular subject up or making the statement that he did. So it's step by step, we're going to take you through that. And step one this week is going to be doing that overview. I will warn you, week one is always your big week. So do not delay in getting to your homework. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Make the effort to sit down and really get started on it quickly because it's going to take you longer than you think. Generally, our weeks of homework, they, they allot, or the way Kay has it set up, is she allots about an hour a day, five days a week, so a total of five hours a week. Uh, but for me, it never goes that quickly. It takes me longer than that. I'm a slower processor, and I'm also a little more um, detailed. I mean, I, for me, it's important that I do it really well, you know, so I take my time, and I'm slower. Uh, so for some of you, five hours will be sufficient when you get further into the week's work, but for others of you, it may take a little longer. So if you're new at this, you're going to have to pace yourself. I recommend that uh, after our class on Monday, right away starting 
Tuesday or Monday night, whatever works for you. Get started on that homework for the next week right away. That way you're done with it early enough in the week that if you've got extra time, you've got extra time. That's great. You can either go back and look at more things or you can just rest and have the time for the Lord to really allow you to meditate on it. Um, But there's nothing worse than pushing it all the way to the end and then trying to cram yourself through that homework at the very end. Um, it is a different kind of Bible study for than, than other studies in that um, it just takes the time. It is not hard. None of it is hard. It's just time-consuming. So you have to just allow for the, the time, the process of doing the time, okay? So this week, we have not done a typical overview in a long time. We've done, been doing, we did Ezekiel uh, and the, the time before, and then this last study we did was Acts. Both of those are historical books, and they're very large books. And so historical books, you take them chapter by chapter, and you let the theme and the context Uh, kind of develop for you as you move through each event, right? Event by event, which is chapter by chapter. But for an epistle letter, which is what we're going to be in, you are going to read through the whole book. You're going to look for book keywords. Now, let me warn you, and also for the old students, we're not looking for chapter keywords. We're looking for book keywords, which means you're going to have to read through the whole uh, three chapters, once or twice, and then look for what seems to pop up in every one of those chapters. That's your, your book keywords. That is going to develop into becoming your book theme. That's your author's purpose for writing. The only way you're going to be able to do that, though, is by doing this process and follow her instructions carefully. Read chapters one and two of this how-to book first, and that will give you a clue as to what you're doing. The great thing is if you will read chapters one and two in this book first and then go into your preset homework and start looking at what she's telling you to do, it'll make better sense to you. You'll go, oh, I see. She's asking me to do this, and she's doing it because she wants this step done that she's mentioned in these first two chapters. Now, when I say chapter one and two, I'm telling you, it's little teeny weeny. This is um, chapter one and chapter two. Let me get to the end. Chapter two is the bigger part. So it's this much. I mean, it's like nothing, guys. So don't be, don't be afraid when I say read the first two chapters. It's nothing. It's going to take you all of 10 or 15 minutes to get through that. But that is going to be your standard for instructions of understanding your instructions so that when she tells you to do something, you can go back to this and it'll clarify it or expound on it for you. Um, you're, uh, one of the things we're also going to be doing besides doing that typical overview uh, is we're also going to be able to um, lay this into a timeline because we've just come out of Acts. For those of you who did not do that with us, you're going to get the benefit of hearing some of our treasures from our last study. And we'll just kind of carry you along with us. You'll just have to be willing to say okay and just go along with it. But I like to bring in my old studies that we've done it particularly, and I do it as often as I can, because it helps us as students to to retain the things that we just learned without losing it and see how it relates to what we're in now. Thessalonians, for those of us who just came out of Acts, we know it fits with what we just did in Acts, right? 
And so we're going to be able to do a timeline, slip it in, show a, about where we think this book was written in that timeline of the unfolding of the events of the birthing of the church. And we're going to see it as a, as a product of Paul's ministry work, his missions work. So we're going to look to see where do they think Thessalonians was written. And that's going to help us, uh, again, both review what we've already studied to help us solidify that better, but it will also help us to set a bigger context, okay? So we're going to broaden you even beyond what your homework will do by doing that. So we'll do that together in class next week. Um, We're also going to see a couple of some of the subjects. You're going to be really surprised. Six weeks, there are more subjects that get brought up. The sad thing is, because there's so many subjects that are going to be brought up, and we're only doing six weeks. So we're, none of them are going to be exhaustively covered. You know, we're not going to go into any one subject and fully develop. But one of, the, one of the subjects, for instance, is going to be spiritual warfare. That's going to come up in here. It's going to be, I think it's in the very last week. Yeah, but it's the last week. Spiritual warfare precept has a 12-week course on it alone. You can take that one subject and spend 12 weeks on it. Then you get a really thoroughly developed understanding of spiritual warfare. But we're going to touch on it here and see it in perspective to what's going on with what's being said here by, uh, by this author and what's going on with these people, the recipients of this letter. And, and we'll be able to at least get a taste of the concept of spiritual warfare. It may entice us to want to go in and do a study on spiritual warfare. Um, okay, so... We're going, to be, we're going to reach way back into our studies also a little bit on Daniel and Revelation because of the fact that the day of the Lord is going to come up. And the rapture of the church is another subject which everybody wants to know about, right? We all want to know about it. And sadly, we're only going to spend really one week on that subject. I wish we were going to spend like two or three weeks you know, building it more and more. But what we will do is we'll drop back into our old studies of Daniel and Revelation. We'll pull out that time Uh, timeline, that frame of time work that we know about already. We'll lay that out on the board again, and then we'll try to split hairs on the, the different time references that get brought up in this book so that we can clearly place them on the timeline where they belong. Okay, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Other topics besides the day of the Lord, also the wrath of God. And so for those of you who've never done a Daniel or Revelation course, we'll get to look uh, to try to begin to define what the wrath of God is. Kay is going to take us into lots of cross references. And through the, the, the process of identifying your keyword, wrath of the Lord, then you'll begin to make a list on the wrath of the Lord. And in that list, then, it'll describe what the day of the Lord is. So you'll, you'll begin to identify what that means when you hear that phrase, the wrath of the Lord. And that's going to be significant in your uh, in times kinds of Bible studies at some point. All right. We're going to look at suffering in the life of a Christian. And what, is, what does God tell us about the value of it and its purpose? Uh, we're going to look at judgment of God for those who bring us suffering. That's going to be a little piece of the puzzle. Prayer and thanksgiving as it's demonstrated to us by Paul through this letter. Uh, the power of prayer, the importance of prayer, um, uh, the exhortation of prayer. We're going to look at all that. We're also going to um, look at the disciplined life of a Christian. This is going to be very interesting, I think, and it, it can be a lot of fun. It, it doesn't sound like it, but it really it can't. Well, 
I, I kind of have to tell a story. We, when I was teaching this the last time we were living in Turkey at the time, and um, we were talking about disciplines, and one of, the, one of the gals in my class came to my house to visit me. And at that, in those days, you remember when arts and crafts were real uh, home, like your little dolls and little things that you made yourself, have crafty things, were really popular in that time frame. And so I had a lot of these things around my house. And she stole one of my dolls, not really, but she took it with her, she took it home, and left me a ransom note. And then on there, she put all these scripture verses from this passage out of Thessalonians about being disciplined and sharing with others. And I can't remember all the verses that were on there, but I just got a hoot out of it. And I thought that was funny. She took this, this passage here about the unruly, undisciplined person, and she gave it a, a whole new life of its own that has never left me. So what God expects regarding a disciplined life and the value of work for a Christian. How many of you have ever done the Truth Project besides Okay, so you remember there's one whole segment in there about work, what, how, what God designs for work, his design for work, the, world, the, the Christian view that we're to have versus the world view. Well, we're going to touch on that also in here a little bit about God's purpose for work. And it, it's very, it's only, there's like one narrow piece of the picture that's given for us in this particular passage about work and what its purpose is. So I, it's going to be very good. So that's a lot of topics for a little tiny six-week course in just three chapters. So it's going to be fun. Um, I want to remind all of us before we get started about some of those golden rules, inductive Bible study rules. Number one, context does rule for interpretation. Therefore, you have to set that context. We'll, we're going to do that this first week. Um, our, our curriculum and my personal view uh, holds firmly, and I can tell through the testimonies that we gave as we went around. You are all going to agree with this. We stand on the belief that God's word is fully God-breathed and inerrant. And you went right to the scriptures, actually, that I thought of. By it, eternal life is offered, and Jesus is revealed, and he's made known to us. So we're going to hold fast to what God told us in his word. That, that, that's the absolutes. Everything else, life experiences and... Um, um, your emotions, how you feel about something. Well, I feel this. Um, I say it a lot, and it's not in a mean way, but I don't care what you feel, and I don't care what you've experienced. What I want to know is what does God tell us? Because upon that, that's our rock. That's what's going to really hold us fast and sure in any given circumstance or situation in our life. So uh, let me just read a few verses here. In Second Peter 1, 2 to 8, it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. These are the promises of God's word are what led us to our relationship with him. And I always feel like, you know, people who want to say they receive their salvation through the knowledge of God's word, but yet then they doubt whether God's word is true or not. To me, that doesn't add up. That, that seems like a confusing statement to me. So we are going to come to understand that God's word is truly God's word, I believe, through this. He says then in the next statement, for this reason, I, I'm 
um, I am compelling you, or I am calling you to apply all diligence in your faith. And he says, supply to it moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So he, God tells us in his word that his word is what we need to build this, this, um, uh, what, what would you call it? This this base which builds us together and builds us up in in our faith walk, so that then we have uh, all that we need for life and godliness. Okay, uh, the true knowledge is given to us through God's chosen vessels. That's the writers of the of the Bible. He gives us His Word through them. But even though it's Paul that wrote, it's not Paul that wrote, right? Because this is what God tells us in Second Peter one twenty and twenty one. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit and spoke from God. So he tells us in his word, it is God's word, not man. Okay? The vessels through which he chose to write, like Paul, um, they're doing it under that inspiration of God. And so even though he is the human writer, it isn't him writing. It is God's word. Um, the last point I want to make to you is about never violating your known scriptures, your known uh, doctrines of scripture. And when I say that, I mean scriptural doctrine, not church doctrine. And there is a difference. So if you don't know the difference, we need to definitely need to clarify that. I, I actually did have a complication with that in my last uh, class I taught. I had to clarify the difference between church doctrine and biblical doctrine. But we hold fast to biblical doctrine in this class. So what that does for us is it gives us those plumb lines of truth that are absolutes. Who is God? Who is man? What is sin? You know, what is salvation? And those things. So once those doctrines that are scriptural are set for us, that becomes the wall or the plumb line so that everything else, when we take a, a point that we're learning, for instance, in the in Second Thessalonians, and we bring it up next to this doctrinal plumb line, if we're off a little bit and it doesn't line up and it's like, well, wait a minute, I think this is saying this, but this is what the doctrine is. They're not lining up, so what's wrong? My understanding of what I just came out of this word on, I have to never violate the known doctrine. So the known doctrines are that which hold us fast and keep us straight, and that's what we're aiming for. So it's like a ruler or a, or a uh, uh, what is the, the thing with the bubble in it? Yeah. A leveler. It's like a leveler. A level. It keeps us level. Okay? <laughs> so that's what we're always lining up. So never violate our known uh, doctrines. If your conclusions violate known doctrines, your conclusions are your conclusions are in error. So you'll have to go back and fix it. Um, Jesus prayed for us shortly before his death, and he said, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus' last prayer to us was that God would sanctify us by his word. Um, I think that covers everything. Now, if there is anyone in here who wants additional one-on-one training for the inductive process, I am happy to set a class up for for you to do that. I can meet with you one-on-one and we can sit down and I can take you through. 
Um, I think the best thing, the best way to get started, though, is to do that week one's homework, see how it goes for you, get the feel for your book and your curriculum. Use your how-to study book to get you familiar with some of the terminology and some of the processes. And then after that, if you if you want to meet with me, contact Lois by email and uh, let her know. And we will set up a time for me to meet with those of you who need that one-on-one help. The, beyond that, this whole group is a great resource. And you're going to all get a list of everyone's names and phone numbers. And we can share around with one another. And if you want to, you can even just contact somebody from your table or from your little group that you sit with and ask questions that way too. I'm sure everyone here would be happy to help, you know, get you, get you moving in it. Okay. So welcome to class. I'm really excited. We won't get to do this much talking from here on out. It'll be me asking you questions and hopefully you answering, right? All right. Let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we've had together. We thank you for, um, just the wonder of your word and for the opportunity to come together and to study in this very uh, disciplined and structured way. We ask, Father, that you would bless these students, that you would give them the strength and the courage and the discipline, all the things that are needed, that they would uh, find great success, Father. We know this is your will for us, so we ask, Father, that you help us in it and that you keep us strong. Father, bless us now. Be with us through the rest of this week and... um, Just praise your name, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.